This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Hi everyone, I'm Jane Tara and I'm chatting to authors and experts about their self-help, wellness and personal development books. If you're looking for ways to be happy, be well and be inspired, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Better Reading B. Jodie Rogers is a qualified sexologist, counsellor and special education teacher with 30 years experience in the education, disability and sexuality fields. Many of you will know her as the relationship counsellor on the award-winning TV show Love on the Spectrum, which I absolutely loved. She's here today to talk to me about her book, Unique, What Autism Can Teach Us About Difference, Connection and Belonging. Unique gives readers a deeper understanding of and appreciation for the neurodiverse community around them. It's a fabulous read and I'm thrilled to have Jodie in the podcast booth with me today. <laughs> so Jodie Rogers, welcome to Be Better. Thank you so much for having me here. <laughs> oh, look, I'm thrilled. Now, your book, your wonderful, wonderful book. I just, I think one of the the gifts that you have is that you seem to approach your work from your heart, you know, and that's why have probably have such a huge fan base after the TV show because people loved the show. They loved everyone on the show. They loved your approach to your work mm. on the show. But that all comes across as well in the book. You read the book and every single chapter, because most of them, um, it's a different story about someone different yes. in each chapter. Each one is so heartwarming. It just really, like, you know, oh, I can you. I can sense that you really love your work. I really, really love my work. Yeah. I really love it. There has been very rarely days in my lifetime that I've woken up and thought, oh, I don't want to go work today. Mm. Like every single day, mm. I'm just like, yes, get That's me to work. Yeah, it's it, great. It I'm very fortunate. So talk to us a little bit about how you came into this field. Oh, you know, it's funny, isn't it? Life winds in different ways. Mm. And I started my life, sort of, I went into teaching originally, but prior to teaching, I had had an experience working with kids with disabilities. And so I sort of always wanted to work in that space. Mm. So I started doing special ed, but probably then adding on to that as your life, you know, travels mm. along. While I was a teacher, one of the things I was noticing very clearly, particularly for adolescents, I was working in a high school mm. for, um, you know, with lots and lots of teenagers. And the focus in those days, probably still is a little bit, was when somebody exited school is really based on employment, which is very, very important, mm. and independent skills and life skills. But I just kept on thinking to myself, what about relationships? And you know, mm. I was hanging out with lots of teenagers. And even if they had an intellectual disability or autistic young people, didn't mean they weren't going through puberty and all yes. the hormones and everything that went with that. Yeah. Um, and it just made me really, you know, I'm very, very passionate that every single person has accessibility to information. So, you know, when we talk about accessibility, a lot of people think about ramps. 
Mm. No. <laughs> but <laughs> that's but, so funny. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. But for me, it was really accessibility. And, and I started thinking, well, you know, at that point, I'd had one of the students had had somebody die in their family. And I realised that young person didn't have access to counselling, grief counselling, because there was very few counsellors around that specialised in counselling for people with intellectual disabilities. Mm. Or So, you know, it was just kept adding. My life just kept adding on. And for me, you know, that was the counselling component. And then I realised that sexuality, you mm. know, in relationships and intimate relationships mm. is integrally important and is for all of us. Our sexuality is important for all mm. of us. So, yeah, it just kept adding. So it was not like, you know, so I didn't wake up one day and think to myself, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a sexologist and mm. relationship counsellor, counsellor for people with uh, intellectual disability or acquired brain injury or autistic people. I'd never, it wasn't mm. a life plan. No. It just was. No, but you carved it out because you saw the needs. Yeah. That weren't being met. Yes, in that area, yeah, there was a big yeah. unmet need. And do you find that in general that there has been? A, well, I, I mean, for me, it seems like there's been a massive shift. I know that younger people talk about autism, neurodiversity, all of mm. that in a very different way. TikTok generation, you know, yes. a lot of them are sort of seeing themselves in on TikTok and then going out and getting yeah. diagnosed. And so, language, of course, is very important, mm. but you know, things have seemed to have really opened up in the whole field. Mm, mm, definitely, because, I th- you know, I always say listen to people who are younger than you. Mm. And if you listen, then you can, you know, perspectives are changing and point of views are changing mm. rapidly. And you, as an older person, I don't want to be left behind. Mm. You know, I really listen a lot to to younger people. I think that a lot of the community don't know that prior to the 1990s, you had to have an intellectual disability to get a diagnosis of Mm. autism. Mm. And so what happened from that is actually in Australia, it was only, I think it was 2004, 2005, that it was even listed. It was called Asperger's in those times, but that was listed as a disability Mm. under the Australian government. Mm. And so really prior to the late 1990s, it was like you had to have a cognitive disability or a physical disability of mm. some kind. We weren't thinking about you could be academically bright. You know, your IQ level, if you think about IQs, could be average to highly intelligent. Mm. But there was another component mm. to ourselves and the way we moved through the world, and that was our communication mm. and our social interaction mm. and our capacity to kind of, you know, have flexible thinking and things like that. We didn't really ever think about that in that way. Mm. And so I think really when we talk about that, it's really been 20 years Mm. that we have thought about autism in a different framework. Mm. And you're right. As soon as we got on, as soon as TikTok was out there and Instagram was out there and these young people Mm. who are so... um, you know, there's a lot of young people that are very have a great social conscious mm. conscience. Yeah, conscience. <laughs> Struggle with yeah. that one. A lot of social conscious. Yeah, I can't get it yeah. today. Con- uh, social conscience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got me too. Um, yeah. And you know, really, a standing up for each other and talking about the fact that 
you know, identity, I mm. think, has become a really big thing for yes. the younger generation. You yes. Know, gender identity, yeah. your, sexual, your sexuality, your neurology, your identity is very important mm. for this younger mm. group of people. And I love it. Yeah, I, I know. Well, I've certainly been on a um, journey of neurodiversity myself with mm. my kids mm. for the past 20 years. Wow. And so, and I've seen how significantly it's changed yes. from being back in the early days going, what, you know, to uh, now, you know, um, one of my sons who's 25 had a friend over recently, she's on the spectrum and we were all making a joke and she turned around and she said, I can't understand the facial expressions with that. Can you explain the joke? I don't get it. Yeah. You know, so she understood herself enough to realise that she couldn't understand some some of these micro expressions and the sarcasm, whatever was going on. Yeah. And she asked us to clarify, you know, I yeah. thought, oh my God, how, how far we've come. So talk to us a little bit about Unique, about mm. the book. Mm. It was really, I was a, pro, I never, I never thought I'd write a book. That mm. wasn't also part of my, oh, I'm going to write a book. It just wasn't yeah. part of my plan. I'm a therapist and so my joy comes from hanging out with people every day and and that's where I like to be. But I had been approached in the past to write to write because I'm a storyteller. Yes. And I tell stories all the time and I tell stories to clients. Like that story you just told, I'd say, well, there was this girl who yes. went to, you know, yeah. Um, I tell stories because I, th- I believe that stories allows us to have greater understanding of one another, mm. allows us to kind of shift our thinking mm. and our perspective and point of view. So there was always the storyteller in mm. me. And anyone who knows me, Jane, would say, oh, God, she tells stories all the <laughs> I think I'm thinking back to the show as well. And I, you know, I can see that that is a way that you would approach explaining things yes. rather than telling them how to do something. No, you kind of weaved away from for them to see an approach to a date or whatever yeah. was going on. Yeah. yeah. So, and then when um, Love on the Spectrum came out, then that's when I was approached again. And I was approached because somebody you know, said who was in the world, the writer's mm. world, the literary world mm. that I had never known, never had access to, mm. um, said to me, you know, have you thought about writing a book? No. Do you want to give it a crack? And I was like, oh, I don't know whether I can or not. But she asked me to write just one story. Mm. She said, just write me anything at all. And mm. and when I and I sent her the story, which is actually the first story that just went bang, came out of me was the first, it's not even the first chapter in the book. It just sits on after the introduction about the first person I ever met as an 18-year-old mm. and the first autistic person that I met and how that relationship with a non-speaking autistic girl who moved through the world in a way that was so different from me, Mm. something that I had never experienced. Mm. It completely shifted my perspective Mm. about human connection. Mm. Anyway, that's the story I wrote. And um, they said, go, keep writing. And Mm. I just feel very, very fortunate because I didn't know that I had the capacity within me. Mm. And my hat is off to writers, to tell you the truth, Jane. Like it is, it yeah. was the most challenging 
yet the most rewarding thing mm. I have ever done in my entire life. But it is a craft. Mm. It's a you make it craft. seem simple. So, and I think this is the beauty. <laughs> but that's good writing, you know, because I read this and it's uh, light is the wrong word, but it's easy to read. You really connect you know, to the the people that you're talking about, they come alive off the page. Mm. I think, you know, there might be a lot of, there's a lot of books out there um, on autism now, but some of them are heavy going and they're explaining the, I guess, the brain and how it works and all of that. This is a really wonderful way to see how autism presents or is expressed through the people who live with it every day mm. and mm. their lives mm. and uh, it's gorgeous. Like That's it really funny is. you're saying that because it's non-fiction. Yes. You know, it's, it's within yes. the non-fiction yes, realm. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And, but when the publishers in the US actually came back first and, and they said, oh, and they'd put, you know, eight pages under index and they said, we're really struggling with this, Jodie, because... Mm. Naturally, people have written guidebooks to autism, yes. or guidebooks to you know whatever. But in those, there's mm. often an index at the mm. back. They they there is no index in this book. <laughs> there is none because every single chapter is a story. It and speaks so, for itself. There's yeah. no referral to anything. No, after. no, yeah. no. It's and it's not. Do you know? It's really funny because. What I realised was you can actually only write from your own perspective Mm. and I'm not autistic. Mm. So I really struggled with that for a long time Mm. because I want to uphold the voices of autistic people to speak for themselves and that's what I've done for my whole life is Mm -hmm. listened to autistic people. So I actually had, had to be deeply reflective and really think about the fact whether I could actually be in that space, whether Mm. I should as a neurotypical person even be touching on this Mm. in any shape or form. But what happened was as I started writing, I realised that I wasn't writing about autistic people as such. I was writing about what autistic people have done in my world Mm. and changed my perspective and my point of view and how because of spending years with autistic people and every day with autistic people, it actually has changed my perspective Mm. on every relationship in my entire life. Mm. I I look at people differently Mm. everywhere I go because of that knowledge base that has been... I've had the privilege mm. of living with that what autistic people have taught me about how we sense the world, how we feel, how we think, how mm. we do things in such yeah. you know, literally a unique way. Yeah. So I, I know you write really eloquently at the beginning of the book about your struggle with um, being a neurotypical person um, writing mm. about this. And, you know, I have a little bit of experience with being questioned over, I told you I have a novel coming out and there's some neurodiverse characters in that and being mm. questioned about, mm. you know, my right to write that as well. And I went, oh, that you know, the, the note was, you know, we want to respect the uh, neurodiverse community and I got back and went, well, I am the neuro, you know, my, my kids and, yeah. you know, my family and friends. And I, I think that when um, you live in it, 
you know, you live in that community, which you do, mm. you have a you ha- you have a unique perspective mm. as mm. well that I think is really important to share mm. with people. Mm. And I love that there are, you know, more people on the spectrum and different types of neurodiversity who are out there and speaking for themselves. But no one person can speak for the whole community no, either. No, and that's true. You know. I do write in the book about what encouraged me to keep writing and it was the autistic people in my life. And because the autistic, like there's nobody in that book that is their true self. So Mm. they'd never be, you know, Mm. everybody's de-identified. Often people are a mixture of a Mm. few people put together or they, the people who know it's them know it's them, but nobody else will ever know it's them. I sense they must be delighted with that. Well, one of the things, there's a story in the book about a young woman who is so isolated and so lonely while she's in high school that she actually um, removes herself. But, But she talks... And that was the true story. She said to me, I I felt like a speck of dust Mm. while she was in her high school years of life. Mm. Now, I read her that story, the part, the story of her, and she not only got really teary that I'd listened Mm. so strongly. She loved the way I described her, Mm. that, you know, she... She loved the fact that I said she smelt like flowers and cigarettes at the same time. And, you know, she – but one of the things that she said to me was – well, I asked her permission. I'd written it and then I asked her permission and said, can I put this story in the book? And she said, of course you can. I want you to. Mm. And she said, because nobody's going to hear my voice. Nobody will ever know that story yeah. about me. She still lives a very, very insular life mm. where she is – so socially anxious that mm. she rarely leaves her own home. She doesn't go on social media. She would never put her face up anywhere. She lives with a great deal of self-doubt. So how does she tell her story? And so I – her she kind of almost pushed me in the back, if that makes sense. She gave you permission. Yeah, she, and she, I, yeah. I gained permission from every single person mm. in that book that I still had – of course, you know – it was a long time ago that I was 18. Yeah. So I couldn't, I don't know where those people are, but mm. the community of people that I am surrounded by mm. were the people that kept on saying, keep going, Jodie, keep mm. going, Jodie. Yes, do it, Jodie, do it. And so all I can come back with was saying, I got their permission. The book was read by a sensitivity reader, as we know. Mm. These are big things these days to make sure. But it was read, but I made sure that sensitivity reader was autistic Mm -hmm. and he wrote to me saying, you have gone beyond, love it. you know, seeking permission from the community that you're writing about. And, but do you know what, Jane, more than anything else, I just want everybody to know, you know, like, and somebody said to me, you know, it's an upside down book. Like I, I thought it was a book about autism, but it's actually not. It's a book about how we all communicate, how we all interact, yes. how we all have sensory stuff going on, how we all – that's not saying we're all autistic. Mm. It's just I wanted people to be able to go, hey, you know when you see an autistic person do that? 
Cheers to have a little look at yourself. I agree because it is a spectrum and neurodiversity is a spectrum. And, you know, so many neurotypical people I know will say, oh, yeah, no, I do that. Or, you know, sensitivities to things or, you know, it's sort of everyone can relate on some level, I think. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The other thing about the book, which I love so much, is there's so many wow moments weaved into these stories. So I'm going to use a couple of examples here of things that you just wouldn't even consider and the way that you have described the advice that you've given in, so in this one, Elliot's Clock. Mm. And the mother was talking about, you know, having problems with Elliot. Um, Elliot had kind of gone off his brain about an appointment and she was making sure that they weren't going to be late. It was one o'clock or something and they weren't going to be late. But Elliot was very, very frustrated and she had said to him, I can't remember the exact words, but, you know, we're going to leave at about one. Mm-hmm. You know, do you want to tell us a little bit about this particular chapter and and just about time because it's you know you're right here for autistic people who love systems routine and certainty time can create stress and particularly if you're using vague words about mm. time that we might know what we mean but mm. they want very specific mm. Mm. times yeah Time, time creates a lot of stress for a lot of people. It does for me. Uh, yeah. It seems to disappear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I don't think we realise that we all have a completely different perception of time mm. and how we communicate about time and think about time. But if you're communi- if you're a really relaxed individual that's like, oh, yeah, we'll get there, and you're spending your life with somebody that is, you know, living by the clock, mm. We've got to be there at this time when you can't be late, and you got to da da da. Those two worlds. <laughs> yeah, that was my ex-husband and me. Uh, Love him, but you yeah, know, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just a different way of moving through things. And I just was very conscious, you know, with Elliot and his mum. I just watched with fascination as the two of them sat. You know, they they walked into my rooms where I do the appointments with people and walked in. And literally sat there and had this disagreement in front mm. of me about time. And I watched it going, wow, this is so incredible mm. that the way we communicated. I think in that chapter two, I talk a little bit about the word wait. And when you are somebody that needs structure, mm. you need things to be very, very explicit. 
what is a weight? Yes. You know, what, what time is a weight? And most of us, mm. nearly everybody on the planet, when we get to a queue, we all go, oh, God, mm. you know, or when we don't know when something's going to arrive. Or mm. there's this really great quote that I love. It's one of my favourite quotes in the world by George Bernard Shaw, which is anxiety is the place between now and then. <laughs> and yeah. that's what I think is the truth about mm. time. If we don't provide a then, if we don't provide a this is what, this mm. is when it is going to happen. Mm. This is how much time you are going to have to spend before you get the answer. Mm. This is how much time until we get there. We we leave people in the anxiety. Mm. We leave ourselves in anxiety if we don't know what the outcome mm. is. So that's Elliot and his mum. It was really about the anxiety of time. Yeah, I love um, in it, I think there's the mention of, you know, things like we'll go in a minute, we'll be, in, we'll be there in a minute, give me five... So by removing those things that we kind of understand, mm. but a person with autism, mm. m- it might really stress them mm. out. So being mm. more specific yeah. about how you're describing yeah. when you're leaving or going yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So if I said to you, Jane, oh, give me a sec. Yeah. Or sex like this. Go yeah. on. That's, that's what you're meant to be giving me. But we understand if we're on the same wavelength, yes. if our neurology is kind of linked in together or we're looking at the the surrounding story of the information, mm. that when we say, give me a sec, we're actually saying, can you give me a little bit of time? Mm. Now, we don't know what that little bit of time is, but we know it's not going to be a long time. Mm. It just means that there's probably something, a job that needs to be finished. That's right. And then you can move on. And we just have a mutual understanding yeah. of that and it happens. Yeah. But how do we ever get that mutual understanding? Mm. Mm. So, you know, and that's what it is. It's about the mutual understanding mm. of all components of our life. Yes. Yeah. 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 I was in a relationship with someone on the spectrum and it was that if I, I often think back that it was a complete lack of communication mm. that now, now that I understand more about it and mm. he was um, diagnosed at the very end of our relationship. Yeah. And I went, oh, if I'd had this diagnosis at the beginning, I could have under... It doesn't mean that the relationship would have worked because maybe, you know, my personal needs might not have been met in certain ways, but I certainly would have understood him more. Yes. And not just thought that he was just not, you know, meeting my needs. He was... Yeah. yeah so it was the way that he was wired up. And uh, so now I have a much greater understanding of sort of what what that was, how that happened. And so I'm more careful to, and I do have people, you know, neurodiverse community, but I now take care with kind of engaging with each of them on certain levels because I know that there are things that they need mm. to, you know, to engage with me properly as well. Mm. So, mm. yeah, so I'm going to go into another little story that was one of my favourites. This was just one of my favourites in your book. (laughs) Elevens. Uh, I loved this kid, Jonathan's Eleven. Okay, so Jonathan was, his parents were having trouble with him or more specifically his mother because if his father told him to do something, he'd pretty much do it. But Mm. if his mother told him to do it, wouldn't. Mm. But also he used to walk down the street and say, sorry, sorry, sorry to people. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about Jonathan. 
delightful kid. Mm. Jonathan, yeah, absolute delight. Highly intelligent mm. little boy, like really, mm. really smart. Somebody, you know, somebody who actually could see numbers fall out of the sky. You know how you think about those people well, who yeah. just, you know, very attached to things that I have no idea about. But, um, yeah, great little kid. But his parents had been really struggling and and they were actually struggling in their marriage when they first came to see me Mm. because they were having what they thought were differing parenting Mm -hmm. or differing ways of parenting. Mm. And while that was coming into play because their perception was that Jonathan's father could be the only disciplinarian in the house. When I say disciplinarian, that if Jonathan had to do something, if his mum asked him to do it, Jonathan would ignore mum. Mm. That's what they perceived, that Jonathan mm. was ignoring mum. But dad could say, which was causing difficulties between them because mum was getting frustrated because Jonathan wouldn't do anything that she asked of him. Um, dad was getting frustrated because he didn't always want to be the one that had to come in right, to do yes. that. Yeah, bad um, cop all yeah, the time. Yeah, that was exactly yeah. right. That was mm. what was happening. And and so they they were struggling with each other, which mm. is very sad, but happens in parenting mm. all the time. And I guess when you talk about your job as a relationship counsellor as well, it's not just the people with autism or the kids with right. you're you're talking about families as well yeah i yeah. do couples counseling yes. i do yeah. you know a lot of counseling with mm. parents and things like mm. that so yeah the whole the whole gamut relationships are not just yes. intimate sexual That's relationships right. relationships are every people all yeah. people in our lives mm. but yeah what came out with that was that jonathan had um you know, I just remember these things don't happen overnight. You sort of go, what is going on? And I think that that is one of the greatest gifts that I have been given by autistic people mm. is curiosity. Mm. And to just go, okay, well, you can't explain it to me or you may be non-speaking mm. or you – but what I've, it's just the curiosity to go, what is going on mm. here? Because I think I say a number of times in the books, there's always a reason that people do what they do. Yeah. And this young man, he had given facial expressions a numerological order you know, different facial expressions had been numbered yes. in a different way. And so, but when his father... Do you want me to tell the story? Yes, yeah. please. Um, yeah, because I love it so much. He's, you know, <laughs> that's why I've, I've tagged it in the yeah. book. Yeah. So, so the yeah. whole chapter is about our facial expressions. Yes. And yeah. what had happened was that Jonathan's father, when he would get angry, so if he said to Jonathan, Jonathan, clean up your bedroom or Jonathan, it's time for a bath, whatever. Mm. When he would do that, even putting that infliction in his voice with his facial expression, he'd furrow his brow. And he, when furrowing his brow, he'd get the number 11 between <laughs> his, um, <laughs> you know, with two, the yes. two creases would form a number 11. Yeah. So Jonathan, as a very young boy, had named anger 11. Mm. But his mum never had an 11. He, his mum's anger was very straight-faced and very calm, mm. but not calm. You know when we just give it off with a, with a straight face of mm. I'm going to lose it, but 
with a completely straight face. And he just face. didn't read it. He couldn't see that mm. as anger because mum's face didn't have an 11. an 11. So he would do what dad told him to do because dad had the 11. And as a family, they just found out what his system was. And so they would name their emotion in numbers as well. So, you know, if they were having a really good time, they might go, yay, we're all threes, you yeah, know. Yeah, fantastic. Or, yeah, it was, it was brilliant. It was... But it's just one of those great experiences I've had in my lifetime to go, how cool are we? It's We're just, so it's cool. just, I loved reading history and, and also, you know, the fact that then they found out that the reason why he was saying sorry to so many people on the street is because he's passing old people with furrowed brows and, you know, with 11s yes. on them and he kind of thought yeah, that he was yeah. reading that as he'd done something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. every yeah. single person he encountered in the street that had a permanent 11, <laughs> he thought well, they were angry and so perceived that he must have caused the anger so was apologising to them, mm. apologising to strangers in the street because he worried that mm. he'd caused their 11. And what, a, what an amazing gift to, to have this curiosity, to have this complex, very complex situation, complex person, a family unit, a dynamic, it's there in front of you and you have to take the time mm. to dig in and work out what's going on and then to be able to provide a solution mm. that they then take into their family structure and, oh, we're all threes today or, yeah. look, I'm an 11 now, you need to pick that up, yeah. you know, and it just changes everything for yeah. them. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. We all need support, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. We all need support. And I think one of the things is that sometimes we don't see in our own lives what's right in front mm. of us because we're just going through the motions. You know, that family was just trying to get through mm. the day-to-day -day reality. So sometimes we it, we just need a little bit of support with somebody to all of us, I'm saying me too, mm. you know, or mm. every single person. We just need somebody that comes in that isn't exhausted or frustrated mm. or so emotionally embedded in what's going on to just mm. say, let me have a look at it with fresh eyes mm. from a different perspective, different point of view. Mm. And then that can be really is so helpful mm. to for all of us to have that support. Mm. That's what we're meant to do for one another. I know. And also strangers passing each other to, you know, you talk about it in the book, you know, um, to be kind and mm. you use an example of taking uh, someone else's child to the supermarket and mm. the child has had a meltdown, if mm. I can remember correctly, mm. and uh, there was a woman there who said something like, can't you control your child? And so you were stressed out by the situation of dealing with this woman's judgment, dealing mm. with the child who is in your care for a mm. few hours, mm. you know, but also the realisation that her mother, mm. who has other kids and, mm. you know, um, is dealing with that mm. every single day, mm. you know. Yeah, and, I was only yeah. 19 when that happened. Mm. I was mm. very young. I didn't, you know, but children were not even on my radar in life and... I was in a circumstance where I felt the extreme judgment of another woman towards me. She she perceived that I was the parent. I don't mm. know how, but anyway, she mm. obviously I looked older. I don't know, but <laughs> it didn't matter. In that yeah. situation, she was highly judgmental and didn't just keep those. Didn't keep that judgment in herself. She she threw it out into the mm. world and. 
it, as a 19-year-old, I very quickly was able to put that experience onto the experience of the mum mm. of the young child I was with and just go, holy crap, mm. this is every day. Every day. Every day that yeah. she's moving through the world with a child. You know, well, she had children mm. who other people mm. were perceiving her parenting mm. as her not being a good parent. Yes, because yeah. they weren't looking, then you know, they weren't obviously looking at this kid and going, oh, obviously that little kid's really struggling. They might be autistic or they might have high anxiety or they might have, you know, sensory processing disorder. Mm. Instead, we're so quick to go, mm. that mother doesn't have that kid under control. Mm. But, yeah, I was only 19, Jane, and mm. it was, and I'd seriously still do it to this mm. day if I see anyone, particularly in a supermarket, mm. Yes, <laughs> if I see somebody struggling with a little kid yeah. in a supermarket, I look straight, I get the eye contact or try and say something, but I'll let that person know. I, I'll even say, you're doing a good job. Do you know, I do exactly the same. And people yeah. who've listened to all of my podcasts might have heard this story a couple of times because it made such an impact on me. But I'd moved to New York with my older son, um, right away from family and friends. And and my husband was away for work for huge chunks of time. So I'm alone without community and without childcare, without a break. And my son you know, used to have these sensory overload meltdowns when he was a kid. Anyway, I had some shopping. I'm in the supermarket. That's always the supermarket. Mm. And I had him kind of locked into one of those umbrella strollers, you know, yeah. and getting my end. Yeah. And I'm standing there while he was having the mother of all meltdowns, like screaming, you know. And I thought if I leave now, I'm not going to have any food. I need to get through this register. I need to get this food and I need to get him home. And I was used to people, you know, being judgy when yeah. he had his meltdowns. And this one woman over to the side, I get really emotional when I think about her. Um, and she, you know, probably has forgotten that she even did this. She walked up to me and I thought, oh, here we go, yeah. you know. And she said, excuse me. And I just kind of turned and she put her arm on me and she said, you're doing a really good job. Look, I get goosebumps. Mm. And I went, oh. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to be in her pocket. Like, yeah. thank you. You know, yeah. that meant everything. I, you know, pulled my socks up and got on with it and got him home and it was all fine. But ever since then, I do the same. Yeah. If someone is having, they have a child, you don't know what's going on. It's Absolutely. not bad parenting. There can be so many factors involved. Well, and just be we, supportive. Oh, and to th- <laughs> <laughs> it's that thing of we've... All- Children are not perfect. No, we're all human. <laughs> like none of us are. We're, like, we're on. We are all emotionally regulated at every single moment of our mm. day. We're always, you know, freshly clean and smelling like roses. And mm. no, we're no. humans. We're all yeah. flawed. And kids are just learning. Yes. If yeah. a kid's having an absolute meltdown or a massive temper tantrum yeah. or. They're a child. <laughs> They're meant to do that. And, yeah. you know, I think that that's one of the things that's really important that we actually go, hang on, why do kids do that? And it's actually really important to do it. Do you know in my lifetime, Jane, we've actually had kids, with autistic kids that we work with, mm. that we, it sounds terrible, I know, 
to do this, but sometimes a child is so malleable and so easy and they've got real flat effect and so it's it leaves them in a very vulnerable position. Mm, mm. And we, if we see a little child of that age who just is so, you know, they don't protest uh-huh. anything. They, they never set out a protest. Mm. It's actually not good because you mm. want a kid to protest because yes. that's a kid saying, I have power, I mm-hmm. have strength, I am my own individual, I want to communicate, I want to express something to you about me and my need and my want. I can remember many, many times in my life in early intervention in autistic, you know, early intervention centres, we have these little kids. If we saw a little child like that, that we were all going, oh, come on, protest, mm. just protest something. When we saw those, we would have people cheering. If they had a temper tantrum and meltdown, we'd go, like, <laughs> yeah! I love that. <laughs> I hope there's a lot of parents listening to this. You know, next time, cheer. That's great. Oh, it was yeah. like the biggest celebration yeah. to go, oh, you beauty. Yeah. Because a child, when they're doing that, you want kids. All of us need to have, you know, throw that forward. As a sexologist, I say to people, mm. throw that forward 20 years. Mm. If you don't have somebody that has power, I'm talking about power to go, no, no. Mm. or I I will not do that. Mm. So I see people that get a very vulnerable in terms of um, consent. Yes, in the same space. And I mm. look at that too because I'm trying to build power mm. in many people of that age group to mm. say you have the self-confidence, you have the self-worth, you are worthy, you can, you have choice mm. and in your own life and mm. you have your own body autonomy to be able to say no. Mm. But I tell you what, I can tell the kids that (laughs) they've had the temper tantrums too because it's very important. We don't realise all of these components Mm. are such important parts of human development. Mm. I love that take on it and it's so true and I think, you know, most people have probably never even thought of it like that. But Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you hope that people will take away from reading your book? I really, really hope that anybody who's reading it, next time they're having an interaction with somebody and in their head they kind of get that perplexed thing of like, why are they doing that for? Mm. They might go, oh, I know. Or they might be in a moment where they can relay a story to another person. You know, Jane, I've already won. Mm. Do you know I've already won? Because there was... An autistic person that put, I've never met this person. I wouldn't have a clue who they are. I will never meet them in my entire life. But they wrote on a social media platform about this book. They got an early copy of the book and they just wrote the line, um, this book made me feel seen. (gasps) And so, Mm. do you know what? Yeah, that's it. It doesn't matter. Yeah, job done. Job done. (laughs) Job done. Job done. The book is unique. What Autism Can Teach Us About Difference, Connection and Belonging. It is beautiful. I love talking you. to you. Jodie Rogers is the author and thank you so much, Jodie, for thank talking to me. Thank you for having me. I feel very relaxed and welcomed here. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.